it is Mother's Day. Mother's Day is just, uh, I love my mom. In fact, my mom is, let me tell you about my mom, okay? My mom, I'm a preacher. My brother's a preacher. My dad's a preacher. And since pandemic world put all of our churches online, my mom watches all three of us preach almost every single week. Isn't like that the most mom thing to do? Like to watch. And listen, mom, I don't know if you're going to see this or not. I hope you do. Happy Mother's Day. I think I, I think I told you before my brother this year. So just Jason, you were late. I told her last week. Um, but uh, the, the moms are great. Just, and here's the thing. My mom, I think she taught me how to tie my shoes. I do that like all the time. I mean, right? I think I learned most of the alphabet from my mom, if not all of it. Probably the whole thing. I still work on some of it sometimes. But the thing that I appreciate my mom for the most is for, uh, she was like my personal guidance counselor all through life. Uh, I just had issues, man, if you can imagine. I had issues. She helped me work through so many emotional things, personal things. And even as an adult, I love to just talk to my mom about the things that are going on in my life. Now, here's the thing. I'm aware that not everyone has a great experience with a mother, like a biological mom or stepmom or somebody who can just be there in your house every single day. But my guess is that you had someone in your life that was like a mother figure to you. I would encourage you today to take some time to call that person, especially if it wasn't a biological mom, and say, listen, you made a difference in my life. I can hardly think about moms without thinking about this one word. And it's our word for the day, okay? So if you want to like zoom in and like what are we talking about today, the word is legacy. Legacy. Moms and ladies in the world who are investing in people leave a legacy. And here's the thing. Even if uh, it isn't in the cards for you to be a mom, for example, me, I'm a man, so like it didn't work out. Uh, You still have the opportunity to invest in the lives of children and people around you to help leave a legacy. The word legacy is a concept that basically it's about what you leave behind when you go. It's the mark you leave in this world simply because you were present in it. Legacy, which brings us to today's lesson. So we are in this teaching series called uh, Wrestling with God, and we're going through like character profiles of people in the Bible who wrestled with God over something. Last week, we met a guy who like physically did some wrestling with some messenger from God, a guy named Jacob, and that was a cool story. But we're talking about more about a, a metaphorical wrestling. We wrestle through things all the time. Things are stressful. Things are hard. Things are, you know, uh, you know, taxing on our lives. And so we wrestle, and many times we take it to God. And we're going to meet a lady today who takes it to God like this. God, please, I'll make a deal with you. If you got your Bibles with you today, uh, turn over to the book of 1 Samuel. If you don't have a Bible, we got some ones in the back near the coffee bar. Please feel free to walk over there. It's not awkward for us at all. If you go walk over, grab a Bible. If you need a good readable version of the Bible, it's free. It can be yours. You can take it home with you today. We want everybody to have a good version of the Bible that they can read. Look it up on your phone. But we're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel, which is in the Old Testament. And the book of 1 and 2 Samuel are really the story of how... Like, the tribes of Israel become the kingdom of Israel. They get kings in this section of the Bible. But it all begins with this little lady who is broken and wrestling with God. We're starting at 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we'll be at verse 8. But let me introduce you to her first. Her name is Hannah. Hannah's married to a guy named Elkanah, and like many ancient families, Elkanah was married to a couple ladies. He actually had two wives, and his other uh, wife, she had children. She had sons and daughters. Hannah was not able to have children. I've had many close friends who have struggled with fertility and, and man, family. 
it's hard, isn't it? And, and if you've been there, or if you've walked with someone through that, or maybe you're going through it right now, I mean, it's hard. And Hannah is seeing the people around her having children and, and, and all this stuff, especially this other lady that her husband's married to, which that's a whole thing that I'm glad our culture doesn't do at all. It's crazy. And she's just not happy. This is a culture where a woman actually got a lot of her worth by whether or not she could provide the family with boys. I'm glad we don't live in that world anymore, but that was the world that Hannah was living in. If you've, if you've been through those issues, I want you to know you're not alone. It's a sad place to walk through, but hopefully Hannah's story can help you. Her husband was no help. Elkanah was kind of a jerk. Let's, let, this is Elkanah's introduction to the world. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 8. It says her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean as much to you as ten sons? Jerk. Like, <laughs> she's going through hard things like, hey, babe, you got me? Isn't that good enough? Well, no, dude. Uh, she's really wrestling with something right now, okay? So be a little sensitive. So she's getting no help at home. She feels alone. And she doesn't know where else to take this grief. And so what she does is pretty impressive. She takes it to God. And she takes it to him in a passionate way. We pick up at verse 9. Once... When they'd finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now, Eli was the priest, and he was sitting on his chair by the doorpost at the Lord's house. You know, the place where Eli sits. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord. She was weeping bitterly. And she made a vow. She's making this deal with the Lord. She says, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son then I will give him to you. I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. Back before the temple was in Jerusalem, it was, they had a place they called the house of worship. And it was in a little town called Shiloh. That's a little uh, you know, Israelite history for you. So they're in Shiloh. And the family is there presumably for a time of worship. They, they went, I think, annually from what I can tell from the story. And Hannah is hurting during this time, and so she's like, we're near the house of the Lord. I know who to take my hurt to. She takes it to God. She gets on what I imagine to be the front steps of the, the porch of the place, and she is just weeping bitterly. Have you been there? Have you been so hurt about something that you're just, like, broken about it? Well, this is Hannah. And maybe you've talked to God like this, like Hannah does. Lord, if you will just restore my marriage, I'll do anything. If you will help me get out of this situation, I'll do anything, God. I'll never cuss or drink again. Please, Lord. Right? You ever made this deal, right? I've heard these called foxhole prayers. You know, if you just get me through this. I want you to know, it is okay to have these moments with God. It's totally cool. He gets our heart. He knows what we're going through. These lay it all down moments. These are prayers where we find ourselves in full submission to his authority. Because we're just like, we realize our own brokenness. Now, she's in it, okay? She's praying like crazy, and I, I, I think it's a little bit humorous what happens next. Eli sees her praying there. He's the priest. Verse 12 says she kept on praying to the Lord, and Eli observed her mouth. And Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And Eli thought she was drunk. That's funny right there. I don't know why. I just giggle every time I see that. He says to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. But Hannah was not drunk, and she took offense to that. She says, not so, my Lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman, 
she wanted to, and this is important for later, make a note of this. She's like, I might be a lot of things, but I am not a wicked woman. She says, I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. So Eli answers her. He just says, okay, well, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked him. So God does. Verse 20, in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant. She gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel. Wow. So if you're looking for a feel-good Mother's Day story, there it is. There's your Hallmark movie. Lady couldn't have a baby. She prays to the Lord, and, she, and it happens. And that's beautiful. But here's the thing. That is just the beginning of what God does through this faithful lady. We've got so much more to learn because Hannah does something incredible. Maybe you've had those foxhole prayers where you're like, Lord, if you'll just do this, I'll do this. And then, like, something happens. And do you ever go back and make good on your promise to God? A lot of us don't. Hannah does. So if you kind of skip ahead and read verses 21 through 25, you'll read how she has this baby. She names him Samuel. She nurses him. She weans him. And then I'm guessing this is like two years later, however long that whole process takes. She keeps her promise. And as we pick up the story, she walks up on Eli, the priest. Now, they've come back to Shiloh, and I want to picture this moment with you, if you will. Like, have you ever seen a mom drop her kid off to daycare for the first time, or a dad? Okay, so I'm picturing you got the stroller, you got the, like, the baby bag with, like, a whole lot of snacks, like, way too many snacks, and extra change of clothes, and a diaper, and you got, like, the, the bottle, you got all this stuff, and here comes Samuel, he's got his teddy bear, and his, you know, his shoes are on the wrong feet, like, this is what I'm picturing, okay, and he's walking up to, to the house of the Lord, and Eli's there, and this is what we pick up in verse 26, she said to him, <clears throat> pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I'm the woman who stood beside you praying to the Lord. Now, here's a question I have for Eli. If you read ahead and you read Eli's story, I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess, he does not remember her. That's my guess, okay? But she's like, do you remember? I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked him. So, now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Now, you're Eli. You're at work. Somebody comes and drops off like a two-year-old at your office. This is Eli. Huh? You prayed for a baby? What deal did you make with God? Like, we didn't talk. I don't know. Now, this, is, this seems really, like, absurd to us. Like, what? Why would you do? But this is culturally something very big. Like, to dedicate your child to the work of the temple, like, that's, whoa, that's out there. And a big Eli apparently is like, wow, that's honorable of you. So he accepts Samuel into his tutelage and begins to raise him as a servant in the house of the Lord. Now, I wrestled with, we're talking about wrestling with God. I wrestled with God this week, honestly, ever should I even, like, what is the message for this week? And I, I, it was really on my heart to talk about Hannah. I've never preached on Hannah. So I was like, I want to talk through Hannah's story because I think she's got a lot to teach us. And I was like, what is the message of Hannah's story until I came on the word legacy? Legacy, remember, legacy is about what you leave behind. It's the mark you leave on the world just simply because you were in it. Hannah was not a significant person, like, in the world. She wasn't a uh, Thomas Edison, you know. She's not some person who's just, like, setting the stage and inventing things and doing kinds. She's not a world changer. She's not a, a diplomat or a politician. She's just this lady who had a prayer, 
and took it to God. But through her life, some things happened. Here's what I've walked away from this as I wrestled with it. I came away with, I think, are like some lessons for what it means for us to leave a legacy. So here's what I think you can do this morning. I'm, I'm going to give you three. Uh, three are easy to remember. Maybe all you need is one. And see if these are some things that you can relate to in your life and maybe begin to pour into people in your life so that you can leave a legacy. Here they are. Here's the first one. If you want to leave a God-honoring legacy, give your best to God. Give your best to God. When we see Hannah praying, we see a woman who is heartbroken in her circumstances. She's crying to the Lord for a child. But even in that brokenness, she teaches us something about our prayer. She teaches us something about our service to God. And here's what I think she teaches me. She teaches us that our relationship with God is not about what we can get from him. Our relationship with God is what we can give to him. At the retreat we were at this weekend, the guy who was speaking said this. He said, why do we need to serve God? Why? Is it because God commanded us to? Is it because, like, he'll smite us if we don't? He had the best answer I've ever heard. He said, we serve God because it delights him. If you have a significant other, a husband or a wife or somebody you're dating, and they want you to do something like wash the dishes, take out the trash, they say, hey, can you take out the trash? You got some choices there. You could not take out the trash. That's an option. You could take out the trash because you're like, I'm going to do it because she told me to, he told me to. Or he can be like, you know what? They like it when I take out the trash. I'm going to wash the dishes because they like it. I'm going to pick up the living room because they like it. It delights him. It delights her. Why do we serve God? It delights him. That's beautiful, isn't it? It's simple. It's really simple. Like, it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. Hannah understood, like, my relationship with God is not about what I can get from him. So much of our prayer is about what I can get. Dear God, give me this. Make me this. Have me this. I want that. He's like cosmic Santa Claus. But God says, no, 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 no. You exist to worship me. I created you to worship me. Our relationship with God is about what we can do for him. How can we delight him? And if you want to live a legacy, it's about giving our best to God. In history, and I don't know, American church history and probably way on back, there's been a tradition of dressing fancy to go to church. Now, we're a casual church. I'm the preacher preaching in jeans and a t-shirt, right? And it's, in our culture, there's a lot of casual churches, and it's cool. But do you know uh, the tradition of getting really dressed up for church begins with a group of people saying, man, I don't have very many nice clothes. But when I go to worship my God, I want to put on the best thing I have. Now, I do think that that can be taken to a wrong extent. Jesus says some things about people who look fancy on the outside, but on the inside, they're full of dead men's bones. You can't just be righteous by dressing nice. That's not how it works. But it's the effort of doing your best, putting your best foot forward. A more biblical principle that we see all the time in Scripture is the concept of the tithe. Now, you might be familiar with the concept of the tithe. We say it every week at the end of our church service. We're like, hey, if part of your worship is through tithes and offerings, you can do that. But it's not just about money. In the Old Testament, tithing is about a tenth of what I own. I'm putting to use in serving God. I'm going to give him my best. So if you're a farmer, you're going to take off the top the 
top tenth, the best that you have, and I'm going to dedicate to work in the Lord. Uh, the priests, for example, the way that they got food was that other people would tithe to the temple, and that's how their families would eat, and that's how they would do that. If you're a farmer and you have herds, you know, you got sheep, you've got cattle, and I'm going to do my sacrifice, I'm not going to get the weakling scrawny calf. No, I'm going to get the best one that I have. It's something we see. It's a, called the principle of first fruits. If we want to leave a legacy, we need to start by giving God our best. And you know what Hannah does? Oh, man. Parents, do you love your children? Can you see yourself doing what Hannah does? If you give me a son, I will dedicate him to your service. I will take him to the temple and drop him off with Eli. Now, maybe you shouldn't be dropping your kids off with Eli. But man, what does it mean for us to dedicate our kids to the service of the Lord? Showing them that their travel sports team is not more important than their ability to engage with uh, God's word. Showing them that being at church on Sunday and being involved in Christian community is more important than our vacation house. Showing that, hey, we serve and we give and we give and we give. It's more important than us living in a bigger house or having another boat or a nicer car. It's hard because our culture teaches us something else. Our culture says you need to give yourself the best. But if you want to leave a God-honoring legacy, we got to give God the best. And Hannah does it in an incredible way. The second thing we learn from Hannah about leaving a God-honoring legacy is if you want to leave a God-honoring legacy, you've got to seek righteousness. Eli calls her out for being a drunk lady. She said, uh-uh, I am not a wicked woman. Don't you even... Here's a fun fact. I told you Eli earlier, it turns out, he's not a great guy. Do you know that it turns out that Hannah is actually more righteous than Eli the priest? If you read their story, you find out that Eli and his two sons are wicked, immoral people. Man, the things that they do and allow, oh, it's bad. It's so bad, in fact, that God allows all three of them, Eli and his two sons, all three of them who are serving as the priest, he allows all three of them to die in the same day as a punishment for how wicked they are. Wow. But check this out. God honors righteous living. This little lady from nowhere begins to pray for a son. He gives her a son. She says, I'm going to dedicate him to the work of the Lord. And guess who becomes the spiritual leader of all of Israel for the following generations? Not the sons of Eli, but the son of Hannah. This little boy, Samuel, he's going to grow into one of the greatest prophets in the Bible. The first great prophet since Moses. This guy is going to be the guy who walks out and, and, and God says, hey, listen, I'm ready to have a king in my kingdom. Will you go take care of appointing him? So he finds a guy named Saul. He anoints Saul, the first king over Israel. Saul ends up being a lunatic. That was his own issue. He also goes out and finds a guy named David. He finds this little boy David out in the pasture keeping sheep, and he's like, hey, God's got plans for you, boy. David becomes the gold standard of what it means to be a king in Israel and sets things up for Israel to become a great nation among all the nations, including Egypt and Babylon and all these other people. How does all this begin? The righteous prayer of a sad mother. 
Isn't it amazing what God does when we choose to be righteous? You know, there is an uh, a cumulative effect to righteousness and, and wickedness in our life. If you begin to make tiny installments of wickedness in your life, first of all, I want to say this. When we make mistakes and we turn to God, God's grace covers our mistakes. That's the beauty of his grace when we turn to God. But if we choose to make sinful choice after sinful choice after sinful choice, and it becomes a lifestyle, we become a person who's living an unrighteous life. And God punishes unrighteousness. And it's not because he's a wicked, evil man who's always trying to punish it. No, it's because he's a righteous God, and he only wants to be with righteousness, and it's a choice we made. There's a cumulative effect. We call it a slippery slope. And the small choices we add make add up kids that are in here. This is why your parents want you to make good decisions in the small scale. Because when you're 20 and when you're 30 and when you're 40 and you're 50 and you've got piles and piles of small bad choices, it eventually becomes a lifestyle that you will reap the fruit of. But there's also a cumulative effect to righteousness. Small good choices. And we get choices every day, like dozens of them. And you can choose righteous or you can choose unrighteous. And it piles up. We're saved by God's grace. You can't earn enough righteousness to be like, hey, you're good enough. You can get in. Like God will, but what he wants from us, what delights him, is righteous living. And Hannah does this. That's why Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then everything else you need will be taken care of. But first, Seek God's righteousness. God ends up using Samuel because of this righteous mama to make a huge turning point in the nation of Israel. I wish I had time to tell you about the book of Judges. Oh, my goodness. That's before 1 Samuel. The nation of Israel has just gone to the dumps. They're worshiping other gods. They've begun sacrificing their children to demons. This is not made up. Read it in the Bible. What? It's in there? Yeah. It was bad. And God sends Samuel along like, okay, let's turn the tides. And things begin to change. And all thanks to the prayer of a heartbroken woman who is more concerned about seeking her God and her brokenness than she was about stacking up things in her own life. If you want to leave a godly legacy, we've got to give God our best and we've got to seek righteousness. The third thing that I find in Hannah's life that is huge is this. If you want to leave a God-honoring legacy... Let God use you where you are. I feel like I talk to people all the time, and they're always like, you know, I'm trying to get over there. Aren't we always trying to get over there? The grass is always greener. There's always another career. There's always another degree to earn. There's always a better job. There's always more money. There's a- I'm going to tell you something. There's always something over there, okay? And that's good. God wants that for us sometimes. But you know where God wants to use you? Here, right now, where you are. Hannah was in a moment of brokenness. She was crying. She couldn't have a child, and she was like, I don't know what to do. Now, here's the thing. I don't know what would have happened to Hannah's life had God not honored that prayer and given her a child. I don't know. We would not know about her. That's for sure. But the cool thing is, after she does become a mom, God allows her to continue to use her where she is. You know, Hannah doesn't become, like, a great political leader. She doesn't run for Senate. (laughs) She doesn't try to, like, lead the homeschool mom club or anything. She's like, you know what? I've dedicated my, my son to the work of the Lord, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be the best dang mom I can be. 
Look at this verse that we've got for her. I think I got it down here. In, in verse 18, this is probably chapter 2. I'm sorry, I didn't put the reference. So it says that Samuel was ministering before the Lord. And as a boy wearing a linen ephod, that's like the priestly garment. And each year, his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. I, I don't know why else that verse was included in the Bible, except for us to know that Hannah never stopped being his mama. I'm a big Harry Potter fan. Judge me if you want to. I love them. And does this make you think about anybody in the Harry Potter book? Mrs. Weasley? Yeah, she's got like 700 kids, um, and every year she makes them all a handmade sweater with their initial on it. And they hate it. They hate it. But you know what? They love it. They wear it. Harry Potter's jealous because he didn't have one, and then he got one. He was so happy. I mean, Mother's Day is like an American tradition. It's not like a scriptural thing. So I'm not preaching Mother's Day, but I want to talk to moms just for a second. You're a mom. Like, be a mom. Own it. God can use you as a mom. So many of us just need someone to be a mom. And we live in a culture where often we're trying to tell, like, everyone, like, let just let somebody else raise your kid. You know, pursue all these other things. And listen, I know. That's great. That's fantastic. I I'm by all means wanting you to pursue your hopes and dreams, moms. But listen, nobody can love your kid like a mama. So let God use you there in your unique giftedness. We're not all cut from the same cloth. we got different skills and giftedness and whatever. So do it your way. Man, and here's the other thing. Some kids don't have a great mom in their life, and they need you too. And so maybe be looking for that, friends of your kids and and you can love on them. And I did have a great mom, but I was also blessed for a lot of, by a lot of other mamas in my life who came in, of my friends and that kind of things. But the rest of us who aren't moms, if we want to leave a godly legacy, we've got to let God use us right where you are. Where are you right now? Now, I want you to know this. There's a good chance God does not want to leave you there. He always wants to grow you beyond where you are, even if you're living in unrighteousness right now. Check this out. God wants to use you where you are, even if you're living in unrighteousness right now. Right now. But start there. And this is a simple prayer that you can begin to pray. Lord, use me here. If it's in the job that you hate, if it's in the neighborhood that you wish you could get out of, Lord, use me here. Maybe like Hannah, he will draw you out of that brokenness and he will give you another thing to do. Maybe not. But whatever the case, let God use you where you are. This past weekend we were up at Camp Kirkwood with... I don't know, it was about 40-something kids. There were 62 of us in total, I think, and 40-something kids. And there was this moment where I just stepped back. And you might not know this about me. I spent 10 years working in youth ministry. It was like my full-time job to work with kids. But since I've moved to Wilmington and been doing uh, stuff with Venture Church, I don't see myself as a youth minister anymore, though I realize that's something I do all the time. I, like, lead our youth group at our church every week when, whenever, like, Philip isn't doing it. And, like, I, I love working with our kids. I don't see myself that way. But I was stepping back, and I was looking at all the adults, and I was watching these kids. And I wish you could have been there. There were just sessions where they were just worshiping God. Jordan was leading them. There were times where they were in their small groups, and they were praying together. And, yeah, they were goofing off. And, yeah, Noah woke me up, you know, really early. That's okay. I love you, bud. <laughs> but I looked at what it was taking to make a difference in these kids' lives. And I realized it wasn't much. It didn't take a ton of effort for us 15, 20 adults to just be there, 
to provide an opportunity for them to gather, a safe place for them to understand God's righteousness and his love. And if you stop and think about it, the people that impacted your life the most probably did it through small things. Inviting you in for a sandwich, helping you with your homework, patting you on your back when your heart is broken or telling you it's going to be okay. It is up to us to leave a legacy that honors God. Because I hate to break it to you. The generation before us is gone. It's on us now to leave this world better than we found it. And I believe that the love of Jesus is the only way to leave this world better than we found it. If you're wrestling with God through some brokenness in your life, I want to challenge you to consider your own legacy. And invite God to shape that legacy. It's impossible to know where it will go. You know, like Samuel, uh, your legacy might end up being like some amazing thing. King David may come out of your legacy, something like that. But it might be the small thing of another kid who grows up to be a grown-up and says, man, I'm glad they spent 38 bucks a month to sponsor me (laughs) through Compassion International. Or I'm glad they brought me to church and prayed with me that time. I'm glad I got to serve with, you know, that they serve with the kids in the back. Or some of your teachers, God bless you, man. Take the light of Jesus with you into your classrooms. I know you do already, but just know that like, that's the best thing you could give those kids. Better than common core math, believe it or not. <laughs> because it leaves a legacy. And it changes their life, but it'll change your life. Let me pray for us this morning.